Got the devil on my throat. Got blood on my hand. The ones that I love are in danger. I'm a fallen man. But I found me a river. And it washes me clean. Know that I'm drowning for trying. Good morning. You all made it. We're so glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. If you guys would stand as we, as we begin to sing. We should make you tighten up. We're in the middle, right? right?
Good morning. Thank you all for, for being here, for braving the weather to come out and, and be with us together in this place this morning as we gather together as God's people who have chosen for some reason to live way up here in these northern climes where it snows on the eve of May. But we're glad that you're here with us to, to celebrate and rejoice what God has done for us, what he is doing for us um, this morning. If you're new or visiting, my name is Tim. I'm the senior pastor here at Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church, and we are glad that you're here with us this morning. I know, based on the weather outside, that it doesn't feel like it, but tomorrow is indeed the first day of May, and so the month of May is going to be a busy month for us here at the church. So a couple announcements to kind of bring to your attention as we head into May. The first is that on May 2nd, so this coming Tuesday, our church is going to serve a meal up at the Rock Mission Center in Eagle River. So if you're interested in, in volunteering to help prepare meals, serve meals, be a part of that anyway, you can join us at the Rock Mission Center at 4.30, and then dinner will be served at 5.30. And then next Saturday, May 6th, this one's not in your bulletin, but Next Saturday, May 6th at 9 o'clock, we're going to have a spring cleanup day. I'm trusting that the forecast is correct and that later this week it's going to actually be kind of springish and the snow will be gone. We'll be able to do some cleanup around here. So from 9 to noon next Saturday, May 6th, we're going to have a spring cleanup day here at the church. Uh, if you want to come, be here around 9. If you have work gloves, that'd be helpful. Just clean up. The property, do some blowing, kind of clear some things off. But if you're able to work, we'll find something for you to do. Then on May 10th, so coming up in a little over a week, we have our, our Funk Club Carnival. The chance to celebrate all that's been done through Funk Club this year. As we've had so many families and kids here at the church from our community as they've come to have fun and also hear about Jesus. So there's a carnival on May 10th to kind of celebrate that whole year. And we need some volunteers to help run games and help do a few things with that. And so if you're interested in helping with that, there's, you can contact Ann Epler. Her contact information is in your bulletin. And then at the end of May, May 26th and May 27th, we're having a, a rummage sale fundraiser here at the church. So if you're interested in donating any item to that, there will be a drop-off the week before, May 21st through May 24th. You can contact Melissa Warner with any questions about that. We're also looking for um, snacks to be given for that sale. So if you're interested in donating or baking cookies for that or bake the popcorn or chips for that, you can also drop those off at the church as well. We are, again, thankful that you're here with us. Thank for all that God has done for each one of us. We're going to celebrate that this morning as we continue in worship. But before we do that, would you prepare your hearts with me as we enter a time of prayer? <clears throat> Father, we 
Thank you for your goodness to us and all the ways that you have shown your love for us. So many things that you give us that we are prone to take for granted. But every breath we breathe, every step we take, all is a gift from you. And so, no matter where we're at this morning, no matter where our heart are at emotionally, no matter where our minds are at, we take time this morning to rejoice and celebrate the good things you have given us. Above all, would we rejoice in the work of Jesus and His death on the cross on our behalf so that our sins can be forgiven. Father, we thank You for Your grace. That when we didn't deserve it, when we were Your enemies, You sent Your Son to die for us, to take our place. We pray, God, that the good news of what Jesus did for us would never grow old or stale in our heart, but that you would fan it into flame each and every day as we think on you, as we read your word, as we pray to you, would you be at work to draw us closer to Jesus and to be all the more amazed by the work you've done for us in Christ. Father, for those in our church who are hurting, who are sick, who are emotionally worn down, I pray that you would be with them, that you would give comfort where it's needed, that you would bring healing where it's needed, that you would just encourage those of us who are hurting and tired and struggling. We thank you that you are a God who loves us enough and invites us to bring our burdens, bring our care, bring our worries to you and that you bear them on our behalf, that you come alongside us in our struggles. Lord, we rest in the sure confidence that you love us, that you've done all that's required for us to receive eternal life. We rest in the sure knowledge that one day you will return and that you will wipe away all the effects of sin. There will be no more death. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. You will return and you will usher in an eternal rest for us. Father, until that day comes, would we live faithfully? Would we do the work you've called us to do in telling others about Jesus and advancing your kingdom? And would we seek to become more like Jesus by the power of your Holy Spirit?
as we sing now, would our hearts be drawn to you? Would we be amazed by your goodness? Would we sing, not just because the words are on the screen, but because we deeply desire to bring you honor and glory through our singing? Pray thou in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we continue to sing?
song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you.
Father, we thank you that no matter what we come here this morning with, no matter what burdens we come in carrying, no matter what trials we come in facing, we can be confident that by your grace you will carry us through them. By your grace you will be with us in the midst of them. That even death is not the end, but that your plan for us, we just saying, don't finish at our graves, but that you are God even over death. Fathers, we come to your word this morning each of us facing different trials, different tribulations, carrying different burdens, would we come with that sure confidence that you love us. By your grace, you are carrying us through whatever trials we may be facing. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I read this article this week in which the author of this article was talking to an older woman, and this this older woman was kind of facing her mortality a little bit and was trying to get rid of some of her possessions before she passed on, right? And so she's just kind of trying to get rid of some stuff, downsides, and she was bemoaning the fact that none of her children wanted her nice set of real silver silverware. And so the author of this article, which is a friend of this lady, but a little bit younger, she, she casually kind of mentions, oh, I've been thinking about getting some real silver silverware, kind of a subtle little hint. And she says, like, I'd be happy to give your silverware a nice, good home. And like, the author assumed that would be a welcome offer, and she was just complaining about not being able to get rid of her silverware, but... The woman said, first I need to check with someone in my family to make sure it's okay if I give them to you. And so a couple days later, this older woman calls the author of the article, and she says this. I'd like for you to use the silverware, and then, after 20 or 30 years, when you're done using it, I want you to give it to my grandchildren. Can you promise me you'll pass it along like I want you to, and not give it to a stranger. So in reflecting on this experience, then, the, the author writes this. Suddenly, what had seemed like a lovely gift that I would have made good use of felt like a binding contract. A gift freely given is a true gift. A gift given with conditions is a burden. And this morning, we're, we're in our third week of, of a series looking at what the Bible has to say about the practice of Sabbath and Sabbathing. And my fear is that sometimes when we think about the Sabbath, when we think about what that means, like, we add all these extra conditions to the Sabbath that God didn't intend. And therefore, what God intended as a good gift for us 
becomes a burden, like that silverware to that lady. That was certainly true in, in Jesus' day. Right? The, the Jewish religious leaders had taken the Sabbath. They'd taken the Sabbath, which God intended as a good gift for his people, and they had added all these extra conditions to the gift, and therefore they had made the Sabbath a burden to the people. The Jewish leaders in, in the years leading up to the time Jesus would come on the scene, they come up with 39 different categories of work that could not be done on the Sabbath. They were so concerned not to break the Sabbath that they, they had added all kinds of additional guardrails around the Sabbath to prevent anyone from even coming close to breaking the Sabbath. But in doing that, they had made keeping the Sabbath a burden. A couple of years ago, my family and my siblings and I, we we gave my dad a a smoker for his birthday. And selfishly, it's like the best gift I've ever given someone. Because now, like almost every time my parents come and visit, Grandpa brings some smoked meat. Right? Like, which we all love. Right? In fact, Evelyn's birthday was a couple months ago, and we asked her what she wanted for her birthday meal, and she said, Grandpa's pork from the smoker. Right? We love the meat that my dad makes on the smoker. He brought something like pretty much every time he's come. Right? But here's the thing. Right? He doesn't bring us that smoked meat because he feels obliged to. Right? At least I don't think so. Like, you can ask him next time he's here, but I don't think he feels obligated to. Instead, he brings us the smoked meat because using the smoker to make something that brings his kids and, more importantly, his grandkids joy, then brings him joy. But if we did start putting pressure on him to bring smoked goods, like if it, it did start to feel like an obligation, or if he put pressure on himself, right, if he started thinking like, Oh man, like I'm I'm going to see Tim and Vanessa and the grandkids. Like I better I better go smoke something or they won't appreciate my visiting. Right? If they started if he started thinking that way, right, then our gift of a smoker to him wouldn't have been nearly as nice of a gift anymore. It would become more of a burden. And my concern is that in a series like this, as we look at the Sabbath. It's really easy in our, in our minds, with our minds kind of propensity towards legalism, for us to turn the Sabbath into an obligation that becomes burdensome. And so this morning, my hope, my goal is to kind of remove any sense of burdensome obligation that you feel around practicing the Sabbath. Because ironically... Once we, f- once we are free of that sense of obligation, then we will actually do a much better job of practicing the Sabbath the way that God intended for us to practice the Sabbath. So to do that, I want to primarily focus on, on one saying from Jesus, which is found in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, when Jesus says this, The Sabbath was made for man. 
and not man for the Sabbath. You, I, each of us, we're not made to to bear the burden of fulfilling the obligations of the Sabbath. We were not made for the Sabbath. Rather, the Sabbath was made as a gift. It was made to be a blessing for mankind, to be a blessing for us. Sabbath is not an obligation to be fulfilled, but a blessing to be received. So this morning, my my hope is to persuade us from the Word of God that, that both halves of that sentence are true. And depending on who you are and what your background is, you probably find one half of that sentence harder to embrace than the other. Some of you might read that and think, what do you mean that the Sabbath isn't an obligation to be fulfilled? It's in the Ten Commandments. It's part of the law. Surely it's, at least in part, an obligation to be fulfilled. Others of you are on the other end of the spectrum, and your mindset is, well, if I'm not obligated to practice the Sabbath, then why practice the Sabbath at all? Why should I even worry about this idea of Sabbath? Why are we going through a series of four weeks looking at the Sabbath if I'm not obligated to do it? What I want to do this morning as we look at God's Word is kind of bring us to the middle and see that both of those things are true. Let's start by looking at the kind of the broader context of Jesus' statement that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So Jesus says that in Mark chapter 2, we're going to start reading in verse 23. Starting in verse 23, they're going to read through Chapter 6, verse 3. So Mark, chapter 2, verse 23, says this. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful to do on the Sabbath? In other words, the Pharisees are saying, Jesus, why are your disciples not doing what the law says they are obligated to do on the Sabbath? Why are they breaking the Sabbath command? And Jesus answers in verse 25. He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them, 
in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn heart, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. And the Pharisees went out and began a plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. And the, the Pharisees and the Herodians are on opposite sides of like every issue. But because Jesus healed on the Sabbath, they're united in their desire to, to kill him. That's how shocking this move was by Jesus, that he would have the audacity to heal someone on the Sabbath, that he unites the Pharisees and the Herodians. But what that shows us, what Jesus, what we see from Jesus healing on the Sabbath, is that first of all, that the Sabbath is not an obligation to be fulfilled. That's what the heart of what Jesus is saying when he says that not man for the Sabbath. Right? Sabbath was, man was not made for the Sabbath. He's saying it's not an obligation to be fulfilled. We don't exist. We weren't made by God in order to be some tool in fulfilling the Sabbath's purpose. Sabbath does not exist as an obligation to be fulfilled, no matter the cost to the person fulfilling it. <clears throat> but this is the way the Jewish leaders treated it in this passage. Jesus goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and there's a man with a shriveled hand. You can imagine, like, this man wants nothing more than to be healed, but according to the Jewish customs, it was not lawful for someone to heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus challenges that way of thinking by asking, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And when the Jewish leader failed to answer, Jesus answers for them by his actions when he heals the man's shriveled hand. It says, Jesus putting the statement, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, into practice. It was better that this man was healed than that the Sabbath customs were kept perfectly. And the the Jewish tendency to, to be overzealous about keeping the Sabbath has had tragic results at times in history. In the book of 1 Maccabees, which is not scripture, but it kind of tells us some stories of God's people. It's, it takes place between the end of our Old Testament and the beginning of our New Testament. There's this story of how the Maccabeans were revolting against Greeks who had come in and were, had taken over Israel at that time period. So there were some Maccabeans who had revolted and then they were on the run. The Greeks had kind of cornered them off in a place and the Greeks then, having them cornered, just waited until the Sabbath to attack because they knew that the Maccabeans wouldn't fight back. And in fact, the Maccabeans say, in the book of Maccabees tells us that they refused to lift a stone or do anything to fight back against the Greeks. And so they were slaughtered man, woman, and child. Like They refused to fight on the Sabbath and therefore lost their lives. 
But the point is that the Sabbath is it's not an obligation to be fulfilled at the cost of human well-being. The man with the shriveled hand was more important than strict Sabbath adherence. The lives of those Maccabeans was, was more important than strict Sabbath adherence. The disciples' well-being as they walked through the field picking grain on the Sabbath was more important than strict Sabbath adherence. In fact, I would say that all of God's laws are this way. God's laws that he gives us in the Old Testament, they're they're not intended to be burdensome hoops that we jump through as a way to appease some egomaniacal deity. He doesn't give us his laws just for us to prove how dedicated we are. God gives us his laws and his commands because they're designed to lead us into the fullness of life. They're designed to bring us joy. Life works best when we obey the commands God gives us. They're there for our good, not just to appease God. And so when circumstances come into play, that cause strict adherence to the law to become an unnecessary burden. Jesus said it's okay to neglect the letter of the law in order to keep the spirit of the law. That's what happened when he talked about, in the example he gives of, of David and his followers who, who come to the tabernacle and they're extremely hungry and David asked the high priest, is there anything you have you can give us? Is there any food anywhere? Like, we are starving. We're on the run. Is there anything you can do for us? And the high priest says that the only food available is it's the bread that's on the altar. It's called the bread of the presence. It's dedicated to God. And according to the law, it was only lawful for the priests of God to eat that bread. But David and his followers, they take the bread and they eat it and they're nourished by it. And Jesus here tells that story without any hint of recrimination against David. Human need overshadowed the letter of the law. The same thing is true of Sabbath adherence. The application of the letter of the law was, was never meant, never intended to supersede human well-being. Going one step further, like there's even debate about whether the command to keep the Sabbath is, is still binding on Christians at all. There's debate with, with faithful, well-meaning Christians on both sides of the debate about whether or not the command to Sabbath is, is still binding, it still applies to us. Now some of you may hear that, you may think, like, how... To the command of God not be binding. Like a part of the Ten Commandments, surely it must still apply. And like, you might be right. Like it's, both sides make good arguments. But before you go too hard in that direction, like, let me just remind you, there are <clears throat> many laws in the Old Testament, many commands 
that we, as Christians, definitively do not think are binding. Most of us eat pork. And if we don't, it's not because we think it's a sin against God. There are many Old Testament commands that we don't adhere to anymore because Jesus' coming changed our relationship with the Old Testament. And different Christians throughout history have had different ways of understanding which Old Testament laws still apply and which ones don't. But almost no one thinks they all still apply. So the question then becomes, how do you decide which ones still apply, which ones still are binding on Christians today? And we won't go into the full scope of that argument, but, but some of you might say, well, the Sabbath command, like it's part of the Ten Commandments. Surely that's unique, that's special. Surely those, if nothing else, are still binding. And again, you might be right. Like I, I find myself conflicted on the issue. I probably lean like 65% toward the Sabbath command not being binding. But regardless of where you come down, I just want to kind of lay out the argument that it's not binding. Because whether or not you agree with that argument, I think it helps us to rid ourselves of some of the, the legalistic temptation that comes along with the Sabbath. I think it will help remove some of the temptation to act as if we are made for the Sabbath rather than the Sabbath being made for us. So as we think about whether or not the Sabbath command is still binding, the first thing to know is that of the Ten Commandments, the New Testament directly affirms or restates and in many cases heightens nine of them. The only one that Jesus doesn't directly affirm or restate is the command to Sabbath. In fact, the only time we ever see Jesus talking about the Sabbath is in situations like in our passage this morning where he is condemning the religious, religious leaders for their over-legalistic interpretation of the Sabbath laws. And instead we have verses like Colossians 2, 16 through 17, which say, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however... Is found in Christ. Paul says, don't let anyone judge you based on how you celebrate festivals and celebrations or how you celebrate the Sabbath. It's up to your conscience because those are a shadow of the thing to come, but the reality is found in Christ. Likewise, in, in Romans 14, Paul says, one person considered one day more sacred than another. Right? That's the Sabbath, like some people think it's more sacred than other. Another considered every day alike. And Paul doesn't say one of them's wrong, one of them's right. He says each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. He doesn't go on to make a case for one side or the other. He doesn't condemn those who treat each day the same instead of giving special attention to one day like the Sabbath. 
Next week, we'll, we'll look in depth at what the author of Hebrews has to say about the Sabbath. But just as a sneak peek, he talks about how the, the point of the Sabbath was to, to point us forward to the eternal rest that is for all God's people at the end of history. And the author of Hebrews then goes on to say that those of us who have believed in Jesus have entered that rest. So that faith in Jesus and trusting in Him is it becomes the, the expression of, of looking forward to the eternal rest. Which is why Jesus says in Matthew 12, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's why Paul can say in Colossians that the Sabbath is a shadow of things to come, but that the reality is found in Christ. So the argument for not keeping the Sabbath is that we don't need the shadow when we have the reality. And we have Christ. And so, above all else, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, then doing something like practicing the Sabbath will not earn you more favor with God. What you need first and foremost is to trust in Jesus. The Sabbath is to cease working. And you, the first work we need to cease is to cease trying to earn favor with God through our own good work and trust and rest on the fact that Jesus died for us, that Jesus did all that we were commanded to do. We need to rest first on Jesus before we think about how to apply the Sabbath in our own lives. And so that's the argument for why the Sabbath may not be binding on us anymore. For some of you, you're hearing that and thinking, well, great. Like, I'm allowed to, to do whatever I want. I'm allowed to, to work however much I want and whenever I want. Like, I don't even have to worry about the Sabbath then. But obviously, the fact that we're doing this sermon series means that I don't think that's where you should end up. I don't think our minds should hear that and then think, oh, well, I can just write off the Sabbath and not worry about it at all anymore. Instead, I think what Paul says to the Corinthians and 1 Corinthians is important for us to hear in this regard as well. So the, the church in Corinth had, had listened to Paul and they had heard about the freedom that's found in Christ and the forgiveness that's found in Christ and they had taken that as an excuse to live however they wanted, right? to be totally free and to justify all kinds of wild behavior. And so Paul quotes the Corinthians. And he said to them, you say all things are permissible. And Paul doesn't refute them, but he counters that argument by saying, that may be true, but not all things are beneficial. The full verse in 1 Corinthians 12, 23 reads this. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is constructive. 
And I think for us, even if we think that the command to Sabbath is not technically binding, even if it's technically permissible for you to work 70 hours a week and to work all seven days, it's not beneficial. It's not constructive for us to work that much. That's why what we talked about in the first week of this series is so important. If you weren't here, then the first week of this series, we talked about how we were created by God to Sabbath. How the command to Sabbath is, is hardwired into us because God, our Creator Himself, Sabbath first. He, he rested on the seventh day and we are made in His image. And because of that, we are called to rest as He rested, to Sabbath as He Sabbathed. We may not have to follow all the laws that the Jews follow about, about the Sabbath. But we are made by our Creator to function best when we rest one day out of seven. The Sabbath was not made to be an obligation to be fulfilled. But it was given to us as a blessing to be received. A blessing for our good. Notice when Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man, He doesn't say the Sabbath was made for Jews for this time period. He says the Sabbath was made for man. It's made for you. It's something to be enjoyed and delighted in and received as a gift. The Sabbath was made at the day of, of restoration and refueling and healing from the burden that comes from working six days a week. God gave us this time to stop and to rest and to delight and to worship. The day for restoration. Which is why it's so deeply ironic that the Jews attempt to stop Jesus from healing on the Sabbath. Sabbath was made as a day of healing and restoration for each of us. And the Jews are trying to stop Jesus from doing that very thing. The Sabbath was made for man. The blessing to be received and embraced and to put into practice. If you're here and you've, you've never really thought much about what it would look like to Sabbath. If you're here and you've never had resting one day out of seven as part of your life's rhythms. If you've just never worried about whether or not you keep the Sabbath. Maybe you didn't really know the arguments for why it's not binding on Christians, but you see everybody else being busy all the time, so you never thought you need to worry about it. Your Sabbath not been a part of your life. I just urge you to think about what it would look like for you to put the Sabbath into practice in your own life. You've not been Sabbathing. Like what blessings have you been missing by not receiving the gift that is the Sabbath? Jesus was, the Sabbath was made for you. 
Jesus himself affirms that. It was made for you as a gift, as a day to rest and recover and be replenished and to enjoy God and worship God. In your bulletin, to quote from Tim Keller, which I really like, he says this, God did not just cease from his labor. He stopped and enjoyed what he had made. What does this mean for us? We need to stop and to enjoy God. To enjoy his creation. To enjoy the fruits of our labor. The whole point of the Sabbath is joy in what God has done. Not burdensome rule keeping, but joy in what God has done. The point of the Sabbath was never to be a hoop to jump through to prove your dedication to God. The point of the Sabbath was always for our good. To be a day to enjoy and find delight in what God has done for us. Like I really believe that practicing the Sabbath has the potential to be immensely beneficial for all of us. The time that we set aside to rest physically from work. And a time to rest mentally and rest emotionally from the burdens that busyness and work can put on each of us. The time to rest spiritually and using that time to come to God's word and come to God in prayer and to worship God. Again, I just invite you to consider what it looks like for you to receive and enjoy the gift of the Sabbath in your own life. Many of you have already started this process. You've been going through the, the practicing the way study in small groups and Sunday school. But if you haven't, or if you've started, but you look a little more refining in what that may look like for you in your practice, a couple things to think about as you think about how do I put the practice into my life. One is this. For me, when I think about the Sabbath, when I've been thinking about how do I practice the Sabbath, my own heart, I think about it in my own heart, like the first thing that comes into my heart and my mind is always, can I dot, dot, dot. Can I do this on the Sabbath? Can I do that on the Sabbath? In other words, is it permissible for me to do X or Y or Z on the Sabbath? But I just urge you right, to reframe that question. In light of what Paul said to the Corinthians, change the question from, is it permissible for me to do X, Y, or Z on the Sabbath, to, is it beneficial for me to do X, Y, or Z on the Sabbath? By beneficial, I don't mean economically productive. But is it beneficial? Is it good for my soul? Is it beneficial for the most important part of me? Is it beneficial for my relationship with God to practice the Sabbath? The Sabbath was, was made for you. Use it to do the things that your soul needs that most benefits you. As much as I 
like it when my dad brings us meat that he has smoked on his smoker. We gave him that smoker for his enjoyment. My biggest desire in giving him that smoker was that he would find joy in using it. And if I happen to get some added benefits, well then, all the better. But my goal, my hope in giving him that was that he would find joy in having it. The same thing is true with the Sabbath. God gave it to us as a blessing to be embraced. He gives us as a means of our deepest needs being met. It just so happens that our deepest needs involve time with Him, time worshiping Him, time in His Word, time in prayer. We need time to stop and to rest and to be quiet. To give our minds a break from the cares of the world, to refocus ourselves on what matters most. And God's given us that chance in the Sabbath. My hope this morning that you leave here with feeling two things. One is that as you think about what it means that Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for you, that you would have a deep desire to put this to practice in your own life. There's no right or wrong way. There's no formula, but taking time to stop and to rest and set aside time to stop thinking about work, to stop working, to focus on worshiping and delighting in God. Hope you leave here with a desire to see that manifested in your life. Then I also hope you leave here feeling like a lack of guilt or a lack of legalism when it comes to how you practice the Sabbath. That you wouldn't feel burdened by <clears throat> the command of Sabbath, but that you would delight in the opportunity to Sabbath. That you wouldn't ask, can I? That you'd ask, is it beneficial for me too? So, this yesterday was our second week as a family trying to put this into practice, trying to Sabbath well. We did it last week. But then this week was our second week, and we just kind of decided on this rhythm of Saturday to Sunday being our Sabbath window. And before we made that decision, I'd already signed up for a pickleball tournament over in Marinette, and so I was gone, right? Away from family for our second Sabbath. And, like, I enjoyed that tournament, but it was not what I would call restful. And so, like, well... On the one hand, I could look at that and feel guilt and feel burden that, man, we're two weeks into this thing and I'm already failing miserably to keep the Sabbath. But I'm working on my own mind, not feeling that guilt, but understanding that the Sabbath is a blessing to be received and embraced. And next week at the opportunity to do it again and to get close with God and to enjoy Sabbath. 
I'm working hard on not feeling guilt over not Sabbathing the way I would hope yesterday. But I was struck yesterday as I played in that tournament and just was busy most of the day. Like I was struck by, even after one week doing it last week, how much I miss doing it yesterday. Giving me a firm conviction that like just doing it one week convinced me that, man, it's something my soul needs, and I miss not having it yesterday. I've said all that to say, like, as you think about implementing this, it won't go perfectly every time, it won't go smoothly every time, there may be things that get in the way. You don't need to feel guilt over those things that go wrong, but I think you will find as you do it that it becomes a part of your rhythm that you miss when it doesn't happen that your body needs, that because you're made in God's image, you are made to Sabbath. So I just invite you to receive the Sabbath as a blessing and put it into practice in your life in whatever way, in whatever time schedule that makes the most sense for you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the gift that is the Sabbath. Father, in your infinite wisdom, you created us in your image to work best when we rest as you did one day out of seven, that we we take time to enjoy the things you have made just as you, <clears throat> after you had created the world, took time to enjoy what you had made. So, Father, as we leave here, as we put the Sabbath into practice in our own lives, would we do so not burdened by guilt or burdened by obligation? But would we Sabbath as a way to delight in who you are and how you've made us to be? Father, above all, we thank you and we praise you that because of Jesus, because he died for us, because he took our place on the cross and paid the price we deserve for our sins. That by believing in him, we can look forward to eternal life. We can look forward to the eternal Sabbath rest when there will be no more pain or suffering or sin. We will no longer have to work to overcome the brokenness of this world. That we will eternally rest in your presence. Thank you for Jesus. We thank you for that eternal rest. Praise all in Jesus' name. Amen.
you go this morning, would you go remembering the Sabbath was made for you and not you for the Sabbath. You are dismissed.